You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. You know me. Three powerful words. Words that I think we have a desire to hear because they can make us feel like we have security. They bring us comfort, confidence, peace, acceptance. Words that speak to this longing, this desire that we have to be known, to be seen. But I don't think we always experience that in many of our relationships. So when someone says they get us or they see us, we sometimes have a hard time believing that. We want proof. We want proof because maybe we've had words without actions or there's been broken trust. Or people have walked away when they've seen our true colors. And that can leave us feeling hurt, bitter, skeptical, and with questions. Questions about whether or not we really can be seen, that we can be known and accepted. Questions that lead us to ask that about God. Like, does he know me? Does he know it makes me smile or laugh my head off? Does he know what brings me to tears? Does he know what makes me nervous or afraid? Does he know what motivates me or what disappoints me or makes me angry? Does he know what hurts my heart? Does he know what makes me feel loved? And I think wherever we're at in our faith journey, we have this deep desire to know that God does not ignore us, nor is he ashamed of us, but that he does see us and know us. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see how he interacted and related and just communicated with people so that they truly were seen as individuals. But more than just being seen by Jesus, these encounters that people had really transformed them and also revealed who he was. So today we wanna lean into that, to that revelation of who he is and the transformation that is available to us and what it can mean for us to be truly seen by God. So will you join me as I take a moment to pray? God, I just thank you so much just for this time that we have together. And I pray for each one of us that truly our hearts would be opened. Our heart would be open to hear from you, to experience you today, to maybe be seen by you. I pray for those of us that have some hurts, there's some pain, Or maybe there's some walls that we've put up to protect ourselves because of past experiences that lead us to believe that maybe this is not even possible. I pray that those would come down today and that truly we would be open to experience and see you in a new and fresh way. In your name, amen. 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 Well, good morning. 
It is wonderful to be here with you today. My name is Shauna, if we have not met, and I'm part of our team here at Kensington. And at this time in the service, we are gonna take a moment to receive our offering. So the ushers are gonna come down. And there's different ways you can give. You can give as the pouch kind of passes you by, or you will also see on the screen the different ways that you can give electronically. And we just invite you to jump in and be a part of this with us, to be a part of our mission. Because it is through your generosity that we are able to continue to reach people with the hope and the love of Jesus, which happens in so many different ways here at Kensington. It's through our partnership with churches and organizations organizations in all different parts of the world. It's by moving out in our communities, by being the hands and the feet of Jesus, by partnering with people in and around. It's also through our campuses and through events and services. So thank you so much for your generosity and for your faithfulness and for being on mission with us. So this idea, really this longing that I think that we have to be seen is kind of a universal longing. It's kind of like when you see someone and they're like, I get you. And you're like, yeah, okay, I feel seen. And we can experience this in different ways. But I thought we could have a little fun this morning. And I have a couple pictures. Or, well, they're actually memes. And we're going to see if you feel seen in these memes. All right? So let's show our first picture here. Me Googling the number that just called me instead of answering it. Who does that? Who? Yep, okay, thank you. You are my people. I do this all the time. I think my white pages, they reverse the phone number is one of my most <laughs> searched websites. All right, next one. How I feel when I bring my own grocery bag to the store one time. <laughs> this is me. Like every week when I go to Aldi, I have my bags and I'm like, you're welcome, Earth. Like I just, I feel totally seen in this picture. Okay, next one. Seven-year-old kids today, iPhones and iPads. Me when I was seven? Okay, Yes. 100%. I mean, that was hours spent in front of that fan. Now, as funny as those are, they reveal that desire. Like, we like to feel seen, like that people get us, that we're acknowledged. Because it makes an impact on our lives. We feel like we have value, that we matter, whether it's through the pain and the struggles or through our hopes and the dreams that we have. And it impacts our lives, our relationships, our families, our marriages, and our work. I mean, I know it does for me. I mean, just the other day at the office, someone stopped and asked me what my opinion was on something. And I felt, well, included. I felt valued. I felt like I was part of the team and that I was seen. And the scripture we're going to look at today is the story of a woman who had an encounter with Jesus. And this encounter led to her feeling seen by him. Now, her story has been read and probably retold thousands of times. But there have been some assumptions made about her, about her character, and really about her story. And so today, whether it's the first time you're hearing it or the hundredth, I would hope that we will be open today and that we will lean in and maybe see what has been missed previously and how Jesus wants to reveal himself to us today. And so this is a story that takes place in the book of John, chapter 4. And it begins by telling us that Jesus has left Judea and he's headed out to Galilee. And it says in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. Cool. Doesn't sound like much of a big deal. But at this time, this was the route that was actually avoided by Jews. Because there was a deep hate between the Jews and the Samaritans. So the Jews would not go this way. I mean, they would avoid it at all costs. If it was like, you can go that way or you can go 10 hours out of your way. They're like, we're going the 10 hours. Because they did not want to go this way. But Jesus, he chooses this route. Could there be a reason why? 
We continue to read, and it says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, I kind of wonder, did this woman notice Jesus from afar? Like, did she come around a bend? Or is there a slope that she kind of made her way up? And there sat Jesus, this man, all alone at this well. Her well. I mean, it's the well she probably went to on a daily basis. I mean, did she pause for a moment? Maybe take a step backwards as if to turn around, but then maybe she stumbled over her feet as she continued to make her way. Slowly, did she recognize the nationality of the man? I mean, could she make out his face? Did she wonder, why is there a Jewish man at my well? I mean, was she confused? Maybe even a little afraid. But then Jesus spoke to her. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. So here's Jesus and this woman at the well and they're having this conversation and in their conversation, it's revealed that she has been married five times and that the man she is living with now is not her husband. Now, it has been assumed by many people that this woman was either an adulteress, a prostitute, or someone who just repeatedly got divorced and sinfully chose to live with another man. But I want us to consider something different maybe this morning. See, marriage at this time in culture was much different than what we experience. Marriage really was a financial investment for futures as an economic benefit because of dowries. So it wasn't so much about, ooh, 
oh my gosh, I'm so in love and I can't wait to spend the rest of my life with you. It was no, okay, let's do this because this is going to provide for our family. And many women were married at the young age of 12 to 15 years old and to much older men. So it was quite common that a woman would outlive one, two, maybe more husbands. And when it came to divorce, a man could divorce for no reason, no explanation, no reasoning. But for a woman, it was much more difficult because she would need a man to advocate for her, to initiate the divorce. So it was actually almost impossible for a woman to get divorced. And if a woman was widowed or she was divorced, the expectation was that she would remarry. A woman had very little power to refuse remarriage because of the financial investment it meant for her family. And a man, well, he would not marry an adulteress or a prostitute because it was shameful. So knowing this, it then gives us this idea that maybe she is not an adulteress after all. Now, we don't know what happened to her. We don't know the details of her story. Maybe she was widowed a number of times. Maybe there was a divorce. Maybe she was even abandoned. But knowing all this and knowing how much little power a woman had to refuse remarriage, it suggests that maybe she had been married multiple times just out of sheer survival for her and her family. Now, it has also been suggested about this text that if she was an adulteress, that this really was about Jesus revealing her sin to her and inviting her into repentance. But when we take a closer look at this text, we actually don't see that as the invitation. Now, there are other times when Jesus quite clearly and boldly tells someone, like, go and sin no more, but that is not a part of their conversation. Rather, we see Jesus know her story. Rather, we see him know that she has been seen, that he sees her. And in what could almost feel like this gotcha moment where Jesus is detailing her past and it's this big embarrassment, what if we actually flip that around and see it from a different perspective that maybe this is actually a moment of compassion? I mean, just picture it. There's Jesus and maybe he's leaning against the well and the woman's off just a little ways and they're in this conversation and as they converse, maybe she steps in a little closer. And at one point, Jesus leans in. There's tears in his eyes. And he tenderly basically says, I know. I know. I know what has happened to you. I know the pain. I know the grief. I know every detail. And I see you. I see you. And this woman is seen. And maybe for the very first time in her life. Now, even though she does not know who this man is, we do from our perspective, from our vantage point, we see that this is Jesus. And that not only does he see her, but this actually gives us a revelation of who he is. That he is a God 
who sees us. That he sees us just as he saw her. That he knows you, that he knows your story, that he knows your pain, the struggles that you've experienced. He knows the sin, the heartache, the doubts, the questions, the fears. He knows your hopes and your dreams. He knows what fills you with joy and confidence because he sees you. He sees you for who you are right in this moment. I will never forget the moment when I first felt being seen by God, like truly seen. I was an 18-year-old. I was hurt, I was bitter, disgruntled, and I hated God. But somehow I wound up at this event and I was in this auditorium this, with thousands of people. But in a moment, it was as if it was just Jesus and I. And he saw me. And in the most beautiful way, it wrecked me to be seen by him and to be known by him. And I love this quote by J.I. Packer, an author. He says, what matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlines it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, who, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off of me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. Because he is a God who knows us. And I have to imagine for this woman that she felt overwhelmed, like in the best way possible at this moment. Now, she has no idea who this man is, but she is being seen for the very first time. And because of that, it moves her to lean into their conversation. And she asks a question, a question really about the biggest division in her community, the issue that's going on between the Jews and the Samaritans. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So in this question, the woman recognizes that there is something different about this man. And so she wants to know more. She wants an explanation. She wants to know like who God is and what it means to worship him and who is right about this. Here is this woman who has experienced pain in her life. She's experienced division in her community. And she wants to know why. She wants to know why. Because see, being seen leads her to ask this bold question. Because being seen creates an opportunity to question. It gives us the opportunity. Her question was like, what is God? Who is he like? What does all of this mean? And maybe some of us have also had those same questions. But there's also other questions I think some of us have. Questions about, like, does he really care about what happened to me? Like, does God really understand my pain? Does he know my loss? Does he fathom? 
fathom the brokenness? Like, does God really see me? I've wondered that. At times laying in bed at night, the house is quiet. Tears have rolled down my face as I'm questioning and wrestling through whether or not he actually sees me. Like, does he really know the pain that I'm feeling? Does he care? Because so many times we experience things in life that lead us to these questions, these places of brokenness where we're asking him, like, do you see me? Questions maybe because of a a painful divorce or maybe it was a horrific work environment, you had a terrible boss or maybe it was the pain of addiction. Questions because of mistakes, failures that we've made and now we have this skewed perception of, of ourselves or of God. Questions about the brokenness we're experiencing because of the choices of others. Questions about the loneliness because of the suffering and hardships. And much like this woman who asked this question, it's okay for us to ask questions too. It's okay. Because Jesus did not shoo the woman away, nor did he get up and leave. Rather, we see him stay. He listens. And he reveals transformational truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. So in this moment, Jesus reveals himself and he reveals himself as the Messiah, as the Savior, as her Redeemer, as the God who sees her. I mean, can you imagine the hope she must have felt in this moment? I mean, this man who somehow knew all about her story and everything that has happened to her is not just an ordinary man, nor is he a prophet, but he in fact is the hope and the salvation that she has been waiting and longing for. And this hope is offered to us. We have this hope in the person of Jesus Christ because not only does he see us and know every detail of our life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but in it, like in the middle of it, he offers us hope. He offers us hope for our past the hurts and the failures that we will be transformed by him. He offers us hope in the present that we are not alone. He offers us hope for the future that we will be redeemed. He offers us hope that provides reconciliation, forgiveness, mercy, grace, and love. We have hope because it is certain because of Jesus. First Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. See, the hope that we are given is a living hope. It is a living hope because of Christ. It is not just a feeling where we're like, oh, I feel so hopeful about that. There's rainbows and butterflies and glitter. It is a person, and the person is Jesus Christ. And because of that, we are offered transformation in our lives through a relationship with him where we can become more and more like him and our life reflects his love. 
And this woman begins to experience this transformation because of Christ, because of meeting him, that the Messiah has been revealed to her. It says, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So this woman experiences being seen and then it gives her the courage to ask some questions and then she experiences the hope and the salvation and the transformation that comes from Christ. And because of that, she now goes and invites others to come and see. It gives her a purpose. I mean, she leaves her water jar. The thing that she came there for, I just picture her experiencing this hope. She's smiling from ear to ear and she's running. She's off to go tell other people because it gives her a purpose. And that purpose creates an impact. It says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior Her story impacted her entire community because being seen creates purpose. It created a purpose for her so that others could experience him. And when it comes to our lives, it creates a purpose for us so that others can also experience the hope, the salvation, and being seen by Jesus by sharing in our story. When we share that with other people, it is a purpose and others are seen. But it's also by listening Listening to someone else's story to help them know that they are seen and that they matter to God and that they can find that same hope in him. And so in just a moment, we are going to share a story with you. Now, as Andrew mentioned, this is a story that does talk about a sensitive subject, sexual assault. So we understand that for some of us, this might be difficult or hard. And we just want to know that feel free to opt out if that is you. But I'm going to invite each of us to lean into this story. It is a story from our worship leader at our Birmingham campus. Her name is Tatiana. And it's a story of pain. A story of brokenness. But also a story of hope. And a story of healing. been stolen under the weight of the curse and broken when I was 13 years old I was sexually assaulted at the time that it happened, I didn't realize that what happened to me was assault so I carried a lot of shame and blamed myself for not being able to stop it from happening my peers also heard about what happened and the narrative was that it was my fault, so I believed that it was my fault too. And two years later, I started to think more about that event, about how I said no and my no was not respected, about how I fought and pushed him away from me until I couldn't anymore. And then I began to consider that what happened to me was not consensual. But considering this reality was incredibly painful and isolating. I didn't want it to be true, and I didn't know who I could talk to about this, so I didn't talk to anyone. 
I felt sick all the time. I was having nightmares reliving the event, and because of that, I was afraid to go to sleep. I couldn't escape my trauma awake or asleep, and I felt completely alone in it. One Sunday morning, I was singing at church on the worship team, and there was a man from out of town who was visiting that weekend, and he came up to me after service to speak to me, and he told me that he had a word of knowledge for me. And words of knowledge were not a common occurrence at the church I was at, and if you're unfamiliar with what it is, it's when someone has a supernatural, God-given insight about someone or a situation, and they share what they believe they've heard from God. So he asks me if he can share this word of knowledge with me, and I say, sure, not really knowing what exactly to expect. But he says to me, something happened to you when you were younger, and your innocence was taken from you. And God wants you to know that he saw what happened, and he doesn't blame you. He wants to heal you, restore you, and give you rest. And when he said this to me, I couldn't believe it. As beautiful as this moment was, and as much as I hold on to that moment with hope, and as much as I felt seen and loved by God in a way that I cannot explain or comprehend, this is actually where my real questioning began. I thought to myself, okay, God, you saw, but why didn't you stop it? If you're a loving father, why didn't you intervene, and why didn't you save me? I went on a long journey of deeply questioning and doubting the goodness of God because God saw me. That question was always there beneath the surface, buried under my pain, and God was actually inviting me to ask it, inviting me in return to see his character more clearly, to see that he did not cause this evil to happen to me, that every act of violence breaks the heart of God, and his heart was broken to see his daughter violated and abused. I felt alone for so long, and slowly I began to share with some trusted people in my life, and Sometimes someone would say to me, something like that happened to me too. And then we would find safety and healing in one another's shared stories. We no longer felt so alone. We had someone who held our stories with grace, gentleness, and understanding. And God bringing those stories to the light meant that we didn't have to hide or feel unseen anymore. Jesus, after the One of my good friends knew my story, and she sent me this song by a group called Common Hymnal that was written to address the pain of sexual violence and to be a source of healing. And I felt so seen by my friend when she sent me this song, and over the years it's been a refuge for me listening to these lyrics that verbalize so perfectly what it feels like on this healing journey, to recognize that Jesus runs after us in our brokenness and in our pain, that he weeps with those who weep. 
And even that opening line over the years, something's been stolen, has helped me verbalize what it felt like for me that day, that there was something stolen from me that God is ready to restore and heal that part of me. In February of 2020, I was sharing my story in a church service and two women came up to me and told me that what happened to me happened to them too. And they got the courage to tell their life group that night. They didn't have to be alone. They didn't have to feel unseen or have their pain go unnoticed. They could be seen and cared for by God through their community. Because God saw me in my pain and invited me to ask him the hardest question that I was too afraid to address. Beauty, redemption, healing, and purpose has come out of the most evil thing that has happened to me. I learned to see God clearly, to see his goodness in the midst of brokenness, his kindness and gentleness in the way that he brought people alongside of me to heal me. And now I'm more confident than ever that God's character remains the same regardless of our circumstances. And the woman at the well asks her hard question of Jesus. And Jesus' ultimate response is to reveal himself to her as the Messiah, her savior, her redeemer, the God who sees her. So when we question, does God see me? We see here that God's answer is that he does see us. He knows the hurt we carry and cares for us deeply in our hurt. And in that is an invitation to see and know him in return. And I think what's so interesting about this woman's response to being vulnerably seen by God is that this brings up the hard questions for her. She realizes that there is something different about this man she's speaking to and her question is, so tell me why. Explain. There's this pain of division in my community. There's pain in my life that you've alluded to. So tell me why. Who is right or wrong about God? What is God like? Her pain being seen actually brings up more questions for her to ask of Jesus. I think sometimes when we sit alone in our pain for a while and we realize that God sees us and is with us there, it doesn't always take our questions or hurts away, but can amplify them and compel us to wrestle with those questions more deeply. But then as she continues to talk to Jesus, he reveals himself to her as the Messiah, the savior she's been longing for for her and her people. And her response is then to go tell her whole town about him and invite them to come experience what she has come and see. Come and see the man who told me everything. And the greatest part of my healing journey was not when the nightmares stopped, when I didn't feel sick anymore, or even when the word of knowledge was shared and I felt the assurance that God didn't blame me for my trauma. Every time I share my story and someone because of that finds a safe space to share theirs, I'm healed a little bit more. The redemption, beauty, and goodness I've experienced and that God has brought out of my pain has far outweighed the bad. Because Jesus saw me in my shame and told me it wasn't mine to carry. He lovingly sat with me as I questioned and I know that all the times that I've wept over what was stolen from me that day, he's wept with me too. I've come a long way in my healing, but at the same time, I know that I won't be healed fully until I see Jesus face to face. There are still days where grief hits me hard. There are still days that I wake up after a nightmare. There's still days that I'm just having a harder day coping and in those days I know that Jesus still takes the time to be with me there and he's still patient with my healing.
her story is a powerful story of finding hope in Jesus and what it means to be seen by him. But it's also a reminder for us that so many times some of the hurts that we carry are the secrets that we keep. It's the wounds that we're almost too afraid to process. Being honest is hard, but it really is a place where that healing can happen. Finding a safe community to be honest. And it's amazing how God uses the honesty. Now, uh, healing doesn't happen overnight, but the freedom that we do experience on the other side of it is worth it. And here at Kensington, we do have a community where that safety, to be honest, is the number one priority. And that's through Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is so much more than just a substance abuse program. It really is a community of people where over half of the people are on this journey of working through past hurts and pain, broken trust, and finding healing together. And we also have an additional resource we wanna share with you this morning. And in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to take out your phone because we're gonna put a QR code up on the screen and we're gonna do it together. It is a resource called rain.org. It is uh, for one of the nation's best support networks that we have for survivors of sexual abuse and for those who love them and support them. And they have support 24 seven, seven days a week. Because here's the thing, either we know someone, we will meet someone, or we are someone with a story similar to Tatiana's. And so in this moment, we wanna create that safe place right here. And we don't want anyone to feel ashamed by taking a picture of this QR code. So at this time, would everyone please take out your phones so that we can all take a picture of this resource and be a safe community in this moment. All right. I like to think that Jesus went the avoided route through Samaria just for that woman. Because we have a God who will go out of his way for you. For you to be seen and known by him. Now for some of us here today, we have come to that understanding. And we've experienced this revelation of what it means for us to be seen by God. And so maybe today God is inviting you to share that with other people. To share the hope and the healing of what it is to be seen by God with others. And there's a four things I wanna share with us today that really can help us when we do that. And the first one is this, to be fully present. To just be fully present with people. To put our phones away, to eliminate those distractions, to make eye contact with people. But when we are with others, that we are present with them. 
And the second thing is to listen without fixing. That we would just hear what is said. We would validate feelings. That we would ask questions. That we would seek to understand. That we would be curious about someone's story. We don't need to have all the answers and try to fix people. We just need to listen. And we can do that by creating safe spaces. Spaces where people can be authentically and completely and utterly themselves. Where there's no expectation, there's no judgment. Places where we just offer compassion and kindness. And the fourth thing is, is to point to truth. Because we can point people to the truth of Jesus. To his hope. That he is a God who sees them. That they matter, that they have value and that they are known by him. So for some of us, what does that mean for you to do that this week? What could that look like? Maybe it's asking God who you are to share your story with so that someone could see that they are known by God by your story. Or maybe it's asking God to give you an awareness of who needs to be seen. It could be grabbing coffee with a friend inviting someone over or staying late at work to have a conversation. But what could you do to intentionally create safe spaces for people to be seen this week? But I also know that there's some of us here today and all you need to know today is that you are seen by God. That he knows you. He knows the pain, the hurts, the struggles, the brokenness. He knows the loneliness, the misunderstanding, and he wants you to know that he sees you. That he cares for you. He cares about what has happened to you and he loves you. And I'm just gonna invite you as the team just sings this next song that you would just sit in this song. And allow the words, in a sense, to almost just wash over you. To have an understanding and a revelation that he is a God who sees you. And that maybe for you, this week, just take a moment each day. And to say a simple prayer to ask God and say, God, help me know that I am seen. Each one of us being seen invites us into this journey of hope. A hope that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. A hope that transforms us. That can transform the world around us. Because we are seen by him. Because he sees you. He knows you. He loves you and he is a God who runs after you. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for each one of us, no matter what our story is, no matter the pain, the struggles, I pray that in this moment that each one of us, we would know that we are seen by you, that we have not been forgotten, you have not written us off, but that you are God who sees us, a God who desires to step into the pain with us, and for those of us who need to know that into the core of our being, I pray that it would be so evident 
For those of us that need to begin that healing journey, God, I pray that we would take that step. We'd find the safe places, we'd find the community. And then we'd begin the, the journey of healing. And for others of us, God, who, who know the revelation of what it means to be seen by you, I pray that we would step out this week to share that with others. I pray that we could be agents of change in the sense that we would are bringing your hope to others, that we could be people that help others know that they are seen by you. And we thank you that you are a God who sees us, who knows us, and who loves us. In your name, amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.